This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 20th of February 2018. A podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Dave and here is my co-host Jon. Hey, hey Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. A happy post-Valentine's Day episode. <laughs> I'm already happy I survived January and halfway through February, so let's put any f- marketing fake holidays in there. <laughs> and yes, listeners, I'm married, so that's maybe why I'm not a Valentine fan anymore. <laughs> oh, I see. Married, so now doesn't need to try. I'll, I'll remind Gita of that. Anyway. Okay. Moving on, moving on. Yeah, move on. You have some uh, housekeeping. Indeed. So, we once again have some fabulous prizes for our listeners. Um, So, tickets for, or at least a ticket, for the DataWorks Summit in uh, in Berlin, we are once again running a raffle. So, the same rules apply as previously. There is a raffle rules uh, page on our site that you can check the detail. But essentially, uh, the long and short of it is do something to promote the podcast. Uh, That could be tweeting about the podcast. That's probably one of the easiest ones to track. Uh, It could be mentioning the podcast at a meetup. Again, we'd need a a recording or a copy of the slides on SlideShare or something like that. Um, You know, talking about it at another session Something along those kind of lines. Do something to publicize the podcast. Yeah, big thank you again to Hortonworks for sponsoring the prize, of course. Indeed, indeed. And, uh, yeah, it's it's the chance to uh, get to the DataWorks Summit for free. You'll obviously have to pay all of your own travel and accommodation, but uh, a ticket for entry, all covered. Yeah, and, of course, the biggest prize is that you can actually meet Dave and me there. Like we'll be there. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's a prize or a penalty. Oh, come anyway, on. give me some. One way, one way or the other, <laughs> one way or the other. And you know, we've we have actually had um, previous winners on as guests of the uh, the podcast as well. So if you want your uh, 15, 30, 60 minutes of fame, um, this could be your great chance. Yeah, definitely. Uh, totally optional, of course. If you don't want to do that, that's totally fine as well. But uh, we usually do a, a uh, recap after the summit on what we we heard, what we talked to, and stuff like that. And uh, we always welcome our guests on the show there as well. Indeed. So if you're interested in that, take a quick look at the Summit Raffle rules on our site. And uh, very good luck. Yeah, don't forget, it's only going to be available for a couple of weeks. It's uh, We do want to give out the prize in a reasonably advance before the summit starts so people can actually make their uh, preparations. So uh, don't delay. When you hear this, start tweeting. Yeah, don't delay. Tweet today. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, was lo- I was looking for a nice catchphrase, but see, that's why that's why Dave got the big, bu- the big bucks. <laughs> yep, all of, that, uh, all of that podcast revenue coming straight at me. All right. All right. So... Let's move on to some news. Yeah, it's a news episode again. As tradition once said, every two shows is a new show, and this is one of them. Indeed. And as always, Dave and I, we kind of look up some things we want to talk about, and as uh, uh, fate may have it, I guess, we both picked the same article. So I still say it's mine. Dave says it's his. Let's call it ours. And uh, you want to talk about it? Yeah, let's go for it. (laughs) Well, it's actually a bit of a shout-out to a uh, fellow Hadoop enthusiast, I'd say. Uh, 
because mm-hmm. uh, you want to talk about something that uh, doesn't exist anymore, and it's kind of a rebirth. It's kind of a uh, the Queen's dead, long live the Queen. And it's actually, we're talking about Hadoop Weekly, and they've changed their name very recently into Data Engineering Weekly, or Data mm-hmm. Eng Weekly is for short. And basically, this is uh, Joe Crowback, who's been sending out a weekly mailing to be, everybody who wants to subscribe to their guests about things in the Hadoop ecosphere. These are blogs, news episodes. We've been mentioned there a couple of times as well. So it's a very useful uh, piece of, uh, yeah, a resource if you're interested in the, in the big data space. And uh, listeners that have been subscribing to both him and our podcast may have noticed some overlap here and there because I have been known to borrow a article from his excellent weekly newsletter. Yeah, it's a good source of inspiration on on the slow news day. I think Joe does a great job of really um, curating news from mm-hmm. sources that uh, you know I, I certainly haven't discovered yet. So he he really does generally get a very wide range of really good quality yeah, yeah, articles. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, and actually to celebrate his five years of Hadoop, uh, he's written a, a blog post on the Medium site. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's actually an interesting piece of uh, writing there because uh, he totally admits that, uh, that it is a biased uh, uh, talk because it's from his own personal view and uh, his own interests reflect that, of course, just as uh, Dave and my interests also reflect in the podcast that we do. But it's a nice read because uh, he's been around since uh, tw- 2013, so he has the history in there. And it's an interesting thing. He actually has a couple of, uh, he has a, a graph on there too, where he kind of plots out which uh, keywords appeared in his uh, newsletters every week, starting in 2013 until now. And that's an interesting graph to look at, to be honest. Yeah. So, I mean, it, sort of the, the, the keywords that he calls out are uh, drill, flink, HDFS, Hive, Kafka, MapReduce, Spark, and Yarn. And uh, I think the, there's no real, at least to me at least, there were no real um, surprises mm-hmm. in what I, you know, what you're seeing in the trends of keywords appearing, appearing, appearing <laughs> over the years. Um, and so some of the trends that you'd exactly expect are things like um, people talking about MapReduce. Yeah, that's that's sort of been on a slow downward trend the whole time, but also people talking about yarn, same sort of thing. And you know, in in one case with map producers, because you know it, it's as a paradigm, it's still there, but as a as an implementation technology, it's it's long dead and buried. In in yarn's case, well, it's just it's a core part of the infrastructure. Same with HDFS. No one, very rarely, do people sort of talk too much oh. about those two things anymore. Well, I mean, the three things MapReduce included, uh, it, it's not a product you're using anymore. Below it, if you're using the Hive or the Spark or the Drill or the Flink or whatever, they are using this HDFS, Yarn and MapReduce uh, paradigms. Mm. But as a user of it, you don't really directly interact with it anymore. Exactly. And that's, of exactly. course, why it becomes no longer a term people talk about. I talk about yep. doing a Spark transformation. And uh, Yes, sure, it's a kind of a MapReduce algorithm and a need probably, but I'm not talking MapReduce, I'm talking Spark. Yep, exactly. Um, but of course, there've been some other kind of interesting trends. If you if you look at things like uh, um, coverage of of drill, you know, it had a 
a burst in uh, 2015 to 2016, but it's really sort of uh, um, tailed off now. Whereas something like Apache Flink came around in 2015 and has maintained some reasonably steady coverage. You know, not not crazy, but you know, it, it also hasn't sort of faded away. Fairly consistent. Yeah, but it's very spiky though. It, it doesn't really have a nice uh, bell curve shape or or exponential or logarithmic or something. It's it's there. It's not there. It's there. It's not there. It's really there. It's really not there. <laughs> it's very. <laughs> I mean, for me, that kind of indicates that they have a very loyal but small following. Yeah. And from time to time, they make a, an effort to make the people realize it's still around. But I think for me, that the two that are most interesting, and let me know what you think about this one, Jan. Oh, you're wrong. That, I'll take Well, maybe, but <laughs> we'll see. So Kafka and Spark. So obviously... Um, when this all started, um, Spark wasn't you know wasn't even around, hadn't even um, come to uh, the Apache incubator for another six months. So it, it's sort of one of one of the newer technologies on the list here. Now, Kafka obviously has been around for quite some time, and what what I find kind of curious here is that the Kafka trend is really quite a steady general upward progression mm-hmm. you know all all in all it, it's and in fact that progression has continued into you know throughout 2017 and into into 2018 yep. and we've been talking mm-hmm. to you know people like uh, people on the Apache Pulsar project that are sort of looking at the next generation of that sort of messaging uh, platform um, whereas the the reality seems that people are really still getting to grips with and adopting Kafka, and certainly, I think that that's something I see in the in the wider enterprise space as well. You know, not everybody is already mm. on board with Kafka or has moved beyond Kafka. I think many people are still in that sort of uh, phase of adopting it and and sort of getting more familiar with it. So I think that's kind of interesting. But in yeah, a s- also, even though this is a publication, a, a grouping of blog posts and stuff like that a lot of those blog posts are actually written by people that are doing stuff with it exactly I mean, yeah he covers uh, the press releases from uh the, the 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 guys that are writing it or selling it or selling support on it as well uh, so yep. that's a part of it but the biggest part of the mailing uh, content is actual blogs of users explaining what they're doing with the stuff so yeah yeah but then you know as a as a sort of uh, counter to that everybody's favorite uh, spark um as, as I'm sure anybody can imagine, and obviously we'll put links in the show notes to the article so you can check the graph out yourself. But of course, it erupted you know, almost out of nowhere, sort of early 2014, um, and it completely dominates the graph through 14, 15, 16. And then, you know, halfway through 16, starts to sort of do a bit of a, a downward turn, starts to trend downwards a little bit throughout the rest of 16 and on through 17 in, you know, to the point where it's, you know, overtaken by Kafka, which mm-hmm. I find kind of, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, it is kind of it's interesting. Remarkable. Yeah. It's, it's understandable that the spark train went downhill at a certain point because they got their biggest humps when they were doing new things and adding new features and new capabilities and more people were able to do more stuff with it. So people talked about it more and more and it was kind of a self propelling prophecy, let's say. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, end of uh, 2016, 
Spark, in my opinion, it, they didn't really stop innovating. I'm not going to say that, but they do get the, into kind of a more of a stabilization phase where they mm-hmm. took what they had and they had some issues here and there with things not being as polished as they should be. And it feels to me like in the last 12, 18 months, they've been more focusing on stabilizing, making it uh, quote-unquote enterprise-ready, but with bingo there. More sort of incremental improvements exactly. rather than kind of revolutionary changes. And then you don't have the big bang announcements anymore, which means you get mm. less press coverage and you don't end up in uh, things like this anymore. Now, that being said, uh, both Spark and Kafka are still way ahead of all the rest. Yeah. So they're still yeah, the, the yeah. biggest people out there. It's not that Spark is going away at all. But the fact that Kafka is actually overtaking uh, Spark is really significant. Because in my opinion, Spark has a much broader uh, target audience than Kafka. Of course, Kafka and Mapar are doing a lot to make Kafka also do more with streaming and uh, stuff like that. And the, the, Confluent, uh, you mean? Yeah, and the Kafka SQL and stuff like that. So they, they have been expanding the target audience there reasonably okay-ish, I'd say. But still, it's surprising that uh, Kafka has such a uh, yeah limelight spot at the moment. So I'm I'm not as I'm probably I'm not as surprised. I think it's um, I think it's an echo of what we're seeing in the the wider enterprise market that more of those enterprises are moving towards these kind of streaming architectures. And while you can do streaming stream processing a number of different ways. Almost any way you'll do it, you're going to want some kind of scalable message bus in there mm-hmm. somewhere. So regardless of whether you're using Storm or Flink or Spark Streaming or you know whatever you might be using, you're probably going to have some Kafka in there. And I think uh, yes, I the enterprise is really uh, starting to get into this a lot, uh, a lot more. So I, I think I'm, I'm a bit less surprised than that. But that's yeah. just my read on things. I mean, you're right. An ingest, a push-pull mechanism is is necessary in most of these uh, deployments. But Kafka has a lot of competition out there as well. I mean, there's 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 Nifi, there's there's uh, things we've talked about before already. If you go into a cloud environment, you're pretty much definitely going to be using whatever service the cloud provider is uh, is uh, is offering there. So there's a lot of players on that specific little piece of the pie, and still, I don't know. I guess the the marketing from uh, for Kafka is very good at the moment. <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> truth be said one of the reasons that the spark spike was so high is because they did a lot of marketing at that point and when I say marketing I don't mean big business putting a lot of dollars in there I mean people that are working on a project really being vocal about it yeah, yeah I mean yeah, the, the right way of doing so. marketing, uh, marketing so and it must be said that even if I look uh, if before we did uh, start this episode I did check a little bit in our previous uh, Roaring News episodes and <laughs> Uh, it kind of correlates because we've been mentioning Kafka more and more and actually a bit of our inside kitchen here maybe. We've actually been grouping a number of Kafka articles which we haven't put in the Roaring News episodes because so much is coming in that we're going to make it a separate show, right? Yeah, indeed. indeed. So, uh, for people that can't see our prepare notes, it's in there, trust us. <laughs> yeah, there's there's actually quite a backlog of ideas that we have for episodes, so it's it's always juggling, you know, what's what's current, what's interesting versus uh, you know, ideas that we have about different episodes. Yeah. So, yeah, know. but just the fact that we decided to hold back a couple of uh, items on Kafka to make it a full episode, I mean, that the whole reason behind it was, yeah, there's so much Kafka going on, let's make it an episode. Indeed. 
And that episode is coming up. I'm not saying when, but it's coming. <laughs> yeah, in the future. Maybe not too distant future. Maybe medium-term future. Anyway. In our lifetime, that's got yeah, everything. Anyway, I think so. It's a very nice graph. It's a biased graph, and he admits to that, so that's totally fair. But it's a nice insight in uh, at least uh, yeah, some corner of the ecosystem here. Yeah. So I like it. I think the other thing that's kind of interesting about this article, and again, link in the show notes, is he talks a little bit about the the costs mm-hmm. of, of you know doing this. And it's something that uh, is sort of very dear to uh, to our hearts as well. Um, you know, we do this, obviously we do this for the love. Um, but uh, <laughs> love each other? But it, uh, maybe, maybe oh, not. Um, not. The no, love no. of big data, let's say that. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> But uh, you know there is a there's always a there's always a cost involved, and um, Joe goes through uh, describing some of the the costs. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's kind of interesting is the the really significant cost for him is actually um, the cost of sending out the emails because yeah. the obviously the Hadoop uh, Weekly, as was uh, you know, started off very much as a as a mailing list. Now, admittedly. I've actually never used it as the mailing list. I always visit the site, so maybe I'm oh. just one of those one of those strange people. But uh, actually, I know I'm Stalker. one of those strange people. But uh, there we go. <laughs> no, I'm just on the but, I'm, I'm on the mailing list. That's easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know quite a few people that that, that are. But it's 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 an interesting. Uh, so he goes through the breakdown, and it, it's kind of looking at the costs. It's not. It's certainly not insignificant, that's for sure. No, we're talking thousands of dollars here. And uh, yeah. he's using MailChimp, which I understand why, because if you're sending a couple of thousand of, uh, well, multiple thousands of emails, any kind of web uh, mail service is going to block you. So you need yeah. to have some kind of uh, bulk uh, mailing system. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but it's not insignificant. And uh, yeah, as you said, it's valid for us too. I mean, as you say, it's the love for the for the podcast, but... It does uh, add up here and there. So uh, Joe actually is talking about looking for sponsorships to offset a bit of the cost there. And uh, maybe we should also be looking at something like that. I don't know. Indeed. We've, we've talked about it and we, we, have, uh, we have a few ideas. We, we've bounced around the idea of things like Patreon and things like that. So yeah. who knows? Maybe you'll see something like that popping up in the future. Yeah, we really don't want to do it real sponsoring because, uh, I mean, it's not like we're totally impartial because we have our own love of certain technologies and that definitely comes out in the podcast, I'm sure. But we don't want to go real sponsored podcasts. I mean, if people want to give stuff away like the Hadoop tickets, stuff like that, fair, no problem. But, um, yeah, something like Patreon might just be a good idea. The reason Indeed. I looked at other Patreon was because I was in the news recently with uh, some less uh, savory things. <laughs> but that yeah. seems to have died down by now. Yeah, I think they've turned most of that around now. Anyway, so anyway, good article, interesting if, stuff. Yeah, if you're not subscribed to it yet, go to his website, links are in the show notes, and um, you can do worse than subscribing to his uh, weekly mail. Indeed. So... Moving on from uh, the data eng as weekly as it is to Tweet Wars, the last data point. Um, I just thought this was quite amusing. So this is a uh, article uh, back January twenty fifth, so not not too far ago. Um, they it, it's from a company called Kinyod. Nyod. I don't, I'm not quite sure how it's pronounced. 
Um, but they um, did some work to analyze tweets uh, from Star Wars The Force Awakens. And with the, uh, the latest film release, they've uh, basically uh, redone the same sort of tweet analysis with the latest film. And uh, it, it, it's worth, you know, if you're, if you're looking at sentiment analysis and that sort of thing, it's worth taking a look at how they've done it. They talk a little bit about um, what they've done and how they've done it. But for me, the most interesting piece, you know, I love the visualizations and all that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, the heat but nice. the most interesting piece was actually the conclusion. And it's just a couple of bullet points at the very end. But I think they're really, really important. So... The first bullet point is document your code. You'll thank yourself in a couple of years because, you know, they, they're basically rerunning. Well, they weren't able to just rerun, but revisiting code they wrote two years ago with the first uh, film they analyzed. And, you know, now coming back to it, lo and behold, you know, things have changed, things have moved on. It wasn't quite as simple to pick up as, um, as they were perhaps expecting. It's actually a good tip for people that are uh, employing consultants or a, a third-party uh, company to do their big data deployment setup. Make sure that those people document their code. And yes, it's going to cost some money because there's a lot of time that creeps into, into documenting stuff. Yeah. But it's very important, definitely for something that's going to be a big part of your company life for the next uh, yeah years, decades. Indeed. Um, second bullet point is open source tools evolve quickly. Don't take the way you solved a problem as given. Now, again, very, very good advice. Um, this, you know, this ecosystem moves very, very quickly. And, the speed of know, data. Huh? Well, faster <laughs> than the speed of data. Um, but <laughs> the speed of the force, maybe. Um, but, <laughs> but, yeah, indeed. But the... The whole point is that these these projects are evolving, new methods, new components, um, new APIs, new everything is being added to these things all the time. More efficient ways of doing things. So you know, just because you solved something one way a couple of years back, you know, revisit what that tool, what that platform can do today. You might find out there's there's a much better, much quicker, much easier way to solve it now. Yeah, any kind of big data deployment should always be seen as an iterative approach. Do it once, look again, improve, evolve. Yeah, and then the final bullet point, which ties perfectly into that, is automate as much of your process as possible. Um, and, you know, big data operates at a scale where automation is just going to be absolutely essential with almost everything you do. No one wants to manually run all of this stuff. Well, I don't know. I get paid by the minute, you know, so. <laughs> okay, no one apart from Jan wants to manually run all this stuff. Now, the two, late, the, two sec the second and third bullet points do kind of conflict a little bit, right? Because uh, by automating a lot of stuff and having the tools that you automate change all the time, that does create some uh, interesting tension, let's say. Well, maybe, but then often you can actually, it's easier to update automation to point at different libraries or whatever it might be yeah, but that depends on how you automate to... it uh, well, make sure you okay. don't write uh, scripts that are very I don't know, uh, try to use global APIs as much as possible don't try to yeah. If you, I mean sometimes you get a piece of uh, a project that does a certain thing extremely well in this particular niche application 
And if you write your optimization to really benefit from that thing, you will get a better result, faster uh, turnaround times, uh, bigger data sets possible. I don't know what the advantage might be, but it gets harder to move to a different project. And for me, when I build something, it's always a choice between do I go deep into the raw guts of the little project so I can get the last percentage point of performance out of it? Or do I do a little more generic and lose a bit of performance, but keep more of an agile automatization script in there? Mm. It's it's not easy. No, it's not. But that's why we get paid the medium-sized bucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I get paid euros, so that's a different thing, right? (laughs) Uh, One other thing I want to mention in the article, uh, he says under the heading of traffic that... uh, it actually surprised me. Uh, a, a lot of his results, definitely if you look at the heat map, is uh, explained by the popularity of Twitter itself. Because basically what he did was analyze Twitter, uh, Twitter messages. And mm-hmm. if you don't get any context around it, you might think that uh, Star Wars is only being looked at uh, favorably or unfavorably even in UK and uh, US and a little bit in Europe. Scandinavia, for instance, nobody watches uh, the Star Wars movies there. But apparently what he says here is that the popularity of Twitter is a big uh, big uh, aspect there because, yeah, if you don't use Twitter, your favoritism or disfavoritism of a certain movie isn't going to be reflected in Twitter messages. Yep. And it actually f- surprises me how low the geographic spread of Twitter popularity actually is because you have a couple of very hot points on the east coast of the US and a little less actually in the west coast which surprises me because most of the tech is on the west coast they always thought so Silicon Valley and stuff and then UK is a big hotspot and Europe well northern Europe and I'm not meaning Scandinavia but more the, 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 to the north of the, the, the bulge of Europe let's say and the uh, uh, Spain and stuff, those are also nicely colored, but I don't know, if you look at Asia, if you look at Russia, Australia, Africa, South America, and of course, the, the, the population centers are smaller there as well, so you need a lot more, yeah, you will never be as visible if, uh, if the same percentage of the population tweets, but still, it, it was... Uh, we always use Twitter in uh, big data demos and analysis as a, the go-to demo tool, right? The easiest, yeah, the go-to uh, firehose. Yeah. yeah, but it's yeah, keep in mind that, that that bias of where your data come from, and uh, make sure that uh, you yeah you keep that uh, always in front of mind. Yeah, gives me hope for humanity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be nice to see the same thing done with Facebook to see what the differences are. Yeah, Just, I'm not quite sure that we'll see that anytime soon. <laughs> Facebook doesn't give us a firehose. Come on. No, unfortunately not. Anyway, speaking of uh, fire hoses, water, and maybe leaks. <laughs> oh, that's a strained one. <laughs> oh, come on. That was pretty good. No, nah, you were the dark side there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think a final article for today, because looking at the time, yeah, we're going over the half an hour again, probably. Uh, it's a bit older one. Although end of January is when this really hit uh, Limelight as well, and that's the Strava data leak uh, although they didn't have a leak uh, Strava didn't have a leak they actually just published their anonymized fitness tracking data and there's been a lot of articles out there and I did want to mention it because it does show that even though data is completely anonymized and it has nothing to do with 
in this case, military installations in the in the hot zones, it can still leak sensitive information out there. I put a link for to a ZDNet article which has some nice visualizations, nice uh, glow maps of uh, people's uh, walking patterns and stuff. But it's just incredible how something as silly as a fitness tracker can actually give away, yeah, national secrets. Yeah. I mean, the the maps cover everything from, you know, secret military bases to things like uh, you know, GCHQ in the UK. Area 51. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah, it, it, it just shows that you need to be very careful. I mean, anonymizing your data is one thing, but... Even anonymized data can still um, can still actually show a useful pattern that someone else can exploit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, anonymized data is still data. You need to think about what people could do with that data, especially if they're able to combine it with uh, something, anything else. So, yeah, and don't forget that there's a big machine learning, artificial intelligence effort at the moment being done by a lot of companies to reintegrate anonymized data from different parties. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, there's there's money in those uh, data hills, so people will try to get it out of there. Indeed. And this is just, uh, yeah, I was really flabbergasted when I saw this because I, I, no, I, I never in my wildest dreams did I think of doing something like this and getting information like that. It's uh, it's amazing. I also didn't know that uh, all of these things like Fitbit and Jawbone are the ones are being um, mentioned in the article. Actually, do the same underlying. Uh, uh, service to, to, to store the data apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody knows Fitbit. Everybody in the Jawbone I've heard of the haven't we really, really know I don't don't know anybody who does that because that's uh more of a US thing. But Strava, never heard of them. No. So also don't forget that even though you're signing up for a service with company A, you don't really know where your data ends up. Yeah. Indeed. So yeah, be be careful with your data. Look at um, the various privacy settings that you can enable. Uh, almost certainly, do enable them, um, and you know, be be careful about what you're doing on this. And just make sure that if you do enable something, do it for a reason. I mean, if if a certain service gives you something and asks for something in return, and there's a good quid pro quo, hey, fair, go ahead, do it. I mean, I use Google Maps. I don't know, they're tracking you while I'm using them, but it's a useful thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Still, the whole the whole leaks and uh, data breaches, you see, it doesn't even have to be criminal and still data can get on the street. Yep. It's a wonderful time we live in. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> okay. Well, enough uh, fear-mongering, I guess. Yeah, let's wrap it up i think um yeah just looking through our little list do you have anything else to talk about oh yeah i just want to do one honorable mention here i'm not going to go into detail here but it's going to be a link in the show notes for a blog series from netflix uh mm-hmm. part one is out it's called scaling time series data storage and part two should be eminent and when part two comes out that's when i'm probably going to be talking about in more detail but it's a fairly lengthy article and netflix goes into some decent depth in how they are storing their uh, time series data for easy uh, retrieval and querying stuff. So uh, anybody who's interested in this, uh, in this uh, area, have a read on part one. And when part two comes out, 
And unless there's a part three coming as well, <laughs> we will be revisiting <laughs> this one very soon. And with that, unless if Dave has anything else to add? Nothing else from me. In that case, that is all the time we have for today. We hope you enjoyed the serving of bite-sized big data. We will be back next week with a new episode. Until then, please go to www.roaringelfin.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can find us on Twitter using the @loopcast tag, and you can contact us by email to podcast at roaringelfin.org. Send us any thought, thoughts, comments, criticisms, and feedback, unless if you're commenting on my speech impediment. Until next time, my name is John. And my name is Dave. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then.